Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm, again, we're still deciding about Favreau, uh, have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one and only Dan Z, and I are recording this on Wednesday, October 14th. Uh, so... Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan. We are what six days away from your book going on sale. Six days away from uh, the release of the Star Wars book, written by myself, Pablo Hidalgo, and Cole Horton. Very, very exciting. I've got one in my hands now. It was pretty surreal. I mean, I don't have to tell you. You've obviously been doing this for a lot longer than me, but to actually hold your first book in your hands uh, is is pretty special. So I'm excited, and I thank you for all the the positive vibes you've been hey. sending out. You know, no, no, again, that, 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 that's what I'm here for. But on the other hand, can we talk a, bit, a minute about your official author photo? Sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, wow. They, 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 is there a, a hunker, hunkazizer setting? Because, you know, I've, I've seen you, Dan, in person. And that, that looks like, you know, your 1960s soft rock album cover. <laughs> uh, you know, you, so you, you want you me to know. sign the picture? Is that what you're telling me? Well, no, I just, I, I, can you talk a little bit about when it was shot, where it was shot? Because, again, it's it's a great photo, but, you know, and I mean this in the kindest possible ways, but, you know, again, we, we turned the good looks knob up a couple of ranks there. How, how did we do this? I've aged well. Well, aged okay. Well. <laughs> uh, it was... I, I, Sadly, cannot say that. I'm, I'm this far away from, you know, hiding under bridges and frightening trolls. They uh, that, so. that was actually taken outside of our house. We live on about uh, four and a half acres. Uh, mm-hmm. Three and a half of those acres are woodland. But mm-hmm. it was taken at our house. And there's no tricks. That's just just me. It was, wow. it was taken and, a few months ago. Okay. And, and was this with our COVID beard or? Uh, that was, that was just uh Hey, I'm going to get a, a picture in a little bit. My wife thinks I look good with a five o'clock shadow. So that's what I went with. Okay. Well, good. That's it. Your, your wife is, is not incorrect. I mean, again, it's, it's a great picture, but again, it's just sort of like, wow. I mean, <laughs> just, you know, it, it's, you know, Dan's going to start signing eight by tens. This looks great. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, and perhaps Disney, with their, their their reorg of their their massive media empire, will will you know find you a new home as as you know a cinema star. Speaking of which, now did you you know see the announcement this week about the reorg? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty powerful stuff. A lot of working gears and a lot of uh, a lot of controversial stuff going on. So let's let's buckle in for this. Well, all right. For those of you who didn't hear, the, the, the basically the Walt Disney Company just this uh, past week unveiled a major what they call streamlining of their their media and entertainment businesses. And under this new structure, Disney's primary focus uh, as a company is going to be developing and producing original content for the company's streaming services as well as its legacy platforms. And are, are you familiar with the term legacy platform, Dan? It's No, it's relatively new to me. Yeah, well, gee, but, but that's the thing. It's like, in this case, legacy platform means movies that are shown in theaters and series that air on terrestrial television. So, hmm. um, and to be completely blunt here, um, a lot of this decision was made 
on the success of Disney Plus, which you know uh, just launched a year ago next month on, on November twelfth, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, all right. Um, Disney's original plan or hope for um, for its subscription streaming service was they would have a hundred million subscribers in five years' time, and Dan. As of August of this year, they already have 60.5 million. Wow. So, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, so that that's really kind of stunning. It, it caught a lot of people at the studio, uh, you know, off guard. Uh, and speaking of the studio, um, this is going forward. You know, Disney now is a company that's in the content creation business. Uh, they're breaking it down into three d- different groups. Uh, there's going to be the studios. Uh, which is going to be headed by the current studio heads, Alan Horn and Alan Bergman. Uh, there's going to be general entertainment. Uh, that's really more of the TV side of things. Uh, that's going to be headed by Peter Rice. He's a Fox vet that came over. And finally, sports. Uh, so we're talking ESPN there. Uh, that's going to be run by Jimmy Petro, uh, who's an ESPN uh, vet. And as for the two Allens, um, they're now going to be, their new job titles are chairman of studio content. Uh, And they're going to be creating branded theatrical uh, movies and then episodic content of the limited series like The Mandalorian. Uh, And in turn, all of the various divisions of the company uh, on the studio side, we're talking uh, Walt Disney Pictures, we're talking Walt Disney Animation Studios, Pixar Animation Studios, Marvel Studios, and of course, Lucasfilm, uh, 20th Century Studios, and finally, Searchlight. And they're all now going to be tasked with creating branded theatrical films, as well as, uh, again, this episode of Contact, these limited series for, for Disney+. Plus. And the interesting thing is when you talk with anybody um, at Disney, Dan, they all point to the Mandalorian as to why, I mean, that evidently this was in the works. They were talking about doing it two and three years down the line. Um, but the combination of COVID and what it did to Disney's business model and the fact that the Mandalorian was it basically became this once in a generation phenomenon. Uh, in fact, somebody was explaining to me that they, they actually have started pulling out old Davy Crockett numbers, Dan. And what's weird is the Mandalorian is starting to to shape up to be a Davy Crockett type uh, global phenomenon. Wow. Yeah. So um yeah, that that was the thing. That that on the, the basis of how well Mandal- Mandalorian did, um this is what you know Disney's takeaway was that in this new realm uh uh, you know that this new business model you don't have to create a film that you know that gets a a huge general audience you now it's possible you know that the disney plus is basically this piece of straight pipe to a specific fandom and that um you know all you have to do you know to be a success is to target uh a, a, you know, a relatively small but extremely loyal audience that then begins to talk up your show and then brings the general audience in, 
And that's what they honestly believe happened with the Mandalorian. You know, that, that um, it, it was, I mean, face it, there's a huge Star Wars audience. But the fact that the Star Wars audience then, after they saw the first couple of episodes of The Mandalorian, began to evangelize for the show and turn to friends and family and go, you have to watch this. Um, that's what turned it into the success that it is today. Um, oh, by the way, uh, on the heels of your recommendation of the Mandalorian serial, yes. uh, I was in Target the other day, and finally they had it uh, in stock. And I, again, I'm a diabetic. I should not buy you know breakfast cereal. But, but I have to ask, on your box of the Mandalorian cereal, was there a painting on the other side? Yes, of the child. Well, yeah. Now, we, we, did it have a number on the bottom? Like, you know, because uh, that's the thing. You know, I picked the thing up, and it's like, I'm not going to get this. And I turned it over, and here's this amazing painting mm -hmm. of the child and Mando. And then this little... Uh, is the name of the, the the thing they wrote on the, the, the lizard creature with the the blunt head? Oh, oh yes, um, yes. I knew it until you said that. Uh, I'll I'll think okay. of it. I'll think of it. Okay, but they they literally blurg. have those it's on a the blurg. Back. I knew I'd think of it. Blorg. They blurg. have a blorg, a red blorg on the back with the number twenty two on it. And it was one of these things where I'm looking at this and it's like, okay, is this the twenty second painting or? You know, did I get the lucky 20-second box? Or I'll have to check mine to see what the number is. And it's Blurg, B-L-U-R-G. There we go. There we go. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the painting so much. I, I, I had the ring at home, you know. Um, and, and speaking of which, have you seen the uh, from Titan, the Mandalorian, the art and the imagery book, uh, volume one that just came out? I have not seen it. I know that it's available, but I have not seen it yet. Yeah, it's it's not bad. It's really, I mean, I, you know, I, I hate to say it. I bought it thinking it was the really for real Mandalorian uh, art of, you know, coffee table book. And it turns out that's not coming out till December. Um, now, uh, this thing put together by Titan, uh, it's $19.99. Uh, it has a lot of great art, um, particularly the, you know, those wonderful paintings you'd see at the ends of the episodes. Um, it's, it's got great stuff, but I, I, it's really heavy on artwork and very light on text. So, um, so it's more like just sort of like, um, a, just a bunch of graphics or, or illustrations, yeah. but not actually yeah. like behind the scenes, like the ones that Phil Solstack does and, and the people from ILM. No, that's it exactly, you know. But um, but I have to say, there is a a volume two coming out in December that's supposed to have the artwork for season two of The Mandalorian. Hmm. And this was good enough that it, you know, I, I I cracked. I've already pre ordered that, and and then I made sure to you know to order my actual copy of uh you know the the art of The Mandalorian, which as you mentioned, uh, you know, Phil's doing. Um, anyway, uh, to get back to, um, how, uh, the reorg, the reorg is going to, uh, going to, and the interesting thing is if Dan, if we'd been paying attention, Kathleen Kennedy was actually talking about this as far back as August. Um, she did an interview oh, yeah. where she was, you know, she was talking about how, 
um, she was looking forward to, you know, uh, Disney Plus being the new home for, for Star Wars. Uh, you know, she she talked up the beauty of, of these limited series rather than the theatrical release film uh, because it then gave the creative team the ability to do uh, very character-driven uh, stuff, you know, to do extended storytelling and connected storytelling. And that um, this space offers us a great opportunity to, to do that. Um, and boy, they, they aren't kidding. I mean, I know we talked on the last show about how, uh, the Obi-Wan series is going to begin production in March of next year over in the UK. But did you see the news this week about the, uh, Cassie and Andor series? I did not. Um, I, you know, what's interesting is that it, you can find these things out in, in weird places like the trades where, it's not necessarily where fandom traditionally looks for this info, but you, you know, it just, they were announcing for the folks who were the grips, the, uh, you know, the, the union players who are looking for work that starting on November 4th, uh, they're going to start shooting. And I guess the, the, the tentative title for the show is star Wars and, or, um, you know, that, that evidently that title may change. I hope um, I hope the, so. Uh, that's that's pretty vague. Yeah. It's uh, not it's not like he's a know. household name like you could get away with Star Wars Skywalker or Star Wars Solo, mm-hmm. but Star Wars Andor, yeah. I feel like that's that's a little too in the weeds. Okay. Remember, this is this is Danzy who said this. It's a professional, you know, model. Um <laughs> okay. Let's see. Uh other thing, uh what's interesting about these announcements in the trade is that the folks that they were you know, the, the job announcements they were making weren't necessarily to actually work on the limited series, Dan, but they were to work on the series that's chronicling the series. Um, How meta. Well, you know, but, but, but face it, you know, um, given how popular Disney Gallery The Mandalorian turned out to be, um, that seems to be the plan going forward now that, uh, each of these series uh, will have, I, you know, and again, I don't know as, as we'll be getting another eight episode uh, version like we did with uh, The Mandalorian. But the idea is that each of these shows will have a shadow crew that will document the production of the show. And then they'll use that material to, you know, create a docuseries that will help, you know, support the show and, you know, uh, you know keep the uh a fan base entertained and, and involved um, well and that's something that george has been doing from the beginning where he just he documents everything takes a lot of photographs he he, he <laughs> writes in journals he hires people to kind of follow the process along originally it wasn't for blu-ray and dvd but of course that was the case since disney purchased the company and of course the great success that they've had uh behind the scenes of the mandalorian so i think there's a <laughs> lot of things to look forward to in that and certainly not unprecedented well but that said um what's kind of interesting is face it you know we know we've got uh you know we're just two weeks out now uh from uh you know getting to see season two of the mandalorian we've got uh star wars andor you know shooting in november we've got star wars obi-wan the the limited series shooting in march um where this gets interesting is how this impacts the Star Wars theatrical releases, who, which, mm-hmm. remember, um, you know, that film was still 
Um, it was originally supposed to go out in uh, December 16, 2022. Um, and, you know, look, you, you've been paying attention. You know, you've seen what COVID said. I mean, just what was it? Just last week we saw Jurassic World Dominion, the, the next installment of, of that film franchise pushed from 2021 to 2022. Given that Avatar 2, which again was supposed to come out in December two, uh, 2021, has now been pushed to uh, December of, you know, uh, 2022. That means the next Star Wars theatrical film has been pushed all the way up to December of 2023. That's right. So we we are 38 months away from that. And in my opinion, Um, that is also what helped to sort of force into light speed this notion of, hey, we're not going to focus on theatrical stuff. And And like you had mentioned earlier, Yes, COVID is is probably, you know, 75% of this, but also the success of The Mandalorian. And The Mandalorian, and someone pointed this out to me recently, is the only mm-hmm. Star Wars thing that's come out since Rogue One that hasn't been polarizing. Everyone seems to legitimately enjoy it. So you may as well focus on that avenue, and, and let's hope we can continue to get lightning in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's, I, let's face it, a lot depends on how people perceive season two, um, you know, like <laughs> pressure, lots of pressure. Um, and speaking of, of fairly pressurized situations, um, Indiana Five, and I called uh, friends at Disney to confirm this. Still supposed to be out in theaters July of two thousand twenty-two. Wow, I hope um, I sure hope so because he's going to be what eighty yeah. at that point. He turns eighty. Two weeks before that release date. Mm. Um, but at, at the same time, it's one of these situations where uh, James Van Gold evidently still doesn't have a script he likes. Uh, he's also concerned. I'm, you know, the, the interesting thing, a lot of the, the folks uh, are following what's going on with uh, Jurassic World Dominion. And the fact that they had to shut down production again for two weeks because they had a COVID case on the set. And, you know, and, and I'm told, you know, it's, it's Harrison's age being 80 uh, is a real concern, you know, given the COVID situation. You know, it's the whole notion of, you know, you know, he's, he's a beloved actor and he's, a, he's the key to this franchise. And, you know, the Indiana Jones films are renowned for, you know, you know we go to India, we go to, you know, uh, you know, we go to exotic ports of call. Uh, and, you know, yes, you can do some of the stuff in green screen, but you also, for them to be legitimate adventure films, you have to travel the world. And uh, I, I, again, that's just what's kind of interesting when you talk with folks at Disney. It's like, yes, we have that release date, and yes, it hasn't shifted, but there is a lot of talk about, you know, are we going to get beaten up because we take our 80-year-old star around the world and put him at risk? Well, when when did Crystal Skull come out? Was that 2008? Is it 2008? 2007. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shame on them. I mean, it should not take creative intelligent people you know this long to come up with a script i mean how many scripts have they redone and i feel like i don't know it's a little frustrating because this is something we want uh you're 
you know, this is obviously his swan song. He's been wanting to do it forever and ever. And mm-hmm. I just, I just think it's really unfortunate and almost embarrassing that they haven't made it a priority. Well, now, just to be clear here, you know, um, again, in fact, little cross promotion here. Um, I want to say Drew on his Light the Fuse podcast is interviewing David Cope, uh, you know, the, the yeah. gentleman who, uh, you know, wrote the screenplay for uh, a couple of the, the Mission Impossible films, but also, you know, was working on Indy 5. And he talked about how it was a very amicable break, um, you know, in regard to him walking away from the project. But it just, at the same time, it was trying to come up with a story that pleased Stephen, uh, that worked for Harrison, that, you know, uh, you know, George had some input on. And these this was a hard Venn diagram to get work, you know, coupled with the fact that, you know, the feeling was that this was going to be the last time that Harrison was going to play this character. And so you wanted to send him out, uh, you know, you know, as big as possible. Uh, and you know, it just, it, it, they, they could never come up with a script that, that serviced everyone. And, and, you know, the fact that in the end Spielberg, you know, stepped away, uh, you know, and it's it, you know, it's, it's been insinuated that Stephen just felt like it, at that point he wasn't helping, he was hindering, you know, and it's just like, maybe I, I need to step away here. And, and it was 2008, yeah. by the way. There we go. Okay. So, um, but anyway, uh, to get back to the Star Wars theatrical release, I, I think, Dan, you're right. That, that, that the, the belief at Disney right now is that this just all plays into our favor. You know, that, that, that you know, it's a situation where, you know, we'll have all this stuff on, uh, you know, uh, Disney Plus, the limited series, keeping people engaged and, you know, enjoying Star Wars. And, and, and in regard to a theatrical film, Absent makes the heart grow fonder. Uh, plus, it gives them time to find the very best idea, the strongest self-contained story. Um, and and there's a number of teams right now that are working at Lucasfilm, you know, on that exact project. And are the different sets of directors and writers. Um, you know, long story short, the, the next... Star Wars theatrical film has to be another Force Awakens, a real event. You know that that you know, you have to want to go back to theaters to see this thing on a big screen. Um, and you know that. And it, let's face it, you know, uh, especially given people's concerns about right now about safety going to movie theaters, uh, it's got to be a hell of a movie to get you back there. So. Um, and uh, speaking of the, uh, we just talked about Force Awakens, which brings us to the last Star Wars trilogy. Did you see the um, the story that's come out of uh, Pablo's new book, the, the Star Wars Fascinating Facts about Episode Eight? No. Um, well, you know, they, face it, everyone kind of beats up on that installment of the series, you know, for, for you know, first a lot of the ideas that ryan put out there and uh, a little spoiler here folks if you haven't seen it already but uh luke dies in that movie and, and you know a lot of the, the the star wars fandom beat up ryan for doing that but it it turns out that pablo in fact this is on page 140 of that book uh with the headline luke skywalker's destiny and 
the fun, the fascinating fact that uh, Hildago shares in, on this page of the book is years before The Last Jedi began development, the treatment left behind by George Lucas in 2012 also had episode eight. Uh, that was going to be the one where Luke Skywalker would die. So, you know, um, makes sense. That's know, the Joseph Campbell pattern of the mentor. Uh, and well, no. you know, that's, that's how it works. That's how stories work. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, again, you, you write about the classic structure, but what's kind of interesting is that Timothy Zahn, uh, who's written the Thrawn books, that's he was right. one of the only, uh, people to get to see that outline that George prepped in 2012. Um, and he talked about, you know, it's look, the original idea. And, <laughs> and he, he said, you know, you have to understand George changes his mind. <laughs> You know, it, so it, it may not be what he's thinking of right now. Um, but the idea was that the trilogies, uh, you know, the, 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 the nine films in total were going to be about three generations. So you'd have the original trilogy. Uh, and then with the prequels, you go back to Luke's father. And you find out what happened to him. And then for films seven, eight, and nine, it was supposed to be about Luke's children. And or you know, the equivalent. And so he talked about how, I guess, the original outline that um, Lucas brought to Disney was built around uh, a teenage female young Jedi Padawan character called Kira. Uh, and I guess she was described in the outline as a loner, hothead, gearheaded badass. Uh, huh. And... And the interesting thing is supposedly this was the stepping off point uh, eventually refined and rewritten for Ray. Um, and uh, but let's see, Kira was supposed to have a, a friend, a teenager called Sam who carried a blaster. And uh, this was supposedly the stepping off point for Finn. Um but had you, you heard anything about that? About the, you know... This is all brand new to me. I had not heard any of this. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, face it, George, you know, uh, George did have a fondness for, uh, you know, teenage characters. Uh, you know, the... Uh, well, again, we were just talking about Crystal Skull and, you know, I mean, how Mud is, is portrayed in that. And uh, and as long as we're talking about uh, Indiana Jones, uh, tell you what, folks, when, when Dan and I get back from this break, we're going to talk about um, the young Indiana Jones and the Adventure Stunt Show, the worst name for you know a proposed attraction in the history of Disney. Okay, we're back. Um, and I apologize, folks. It's October, and I wanted you know we. Uh, you know, Dan and I are recording this in the middle of the month and, but you know, you know, people are kind of thinking about Halloween now and I want to do something Halloweeny. And, um, I spent a, a good amount of time this past week working on maybe doing something about the rancor, um, rancor, you know, the, the rancor. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, that, that I, I don't know how much you know about, you know, when they were working on Jedi, Jedi the first pass on the Rancor, um, it was a guy in a suit. That's right. Yeah. And they, you know, I, 
and evidently the idea was that you know that that this creature that was supposed to be 14 feet tall and weigh over 3500 pounds um they they could never get it to work the way they wanted as a suit it just it, it it's it still looked like a guy in a suit so uh, they paused production, and they eventually um, reimagined it as sort of a rod-operated pirate, but or it's a pu- puppet, not pirate. Um, but <laughs> well, there you go. But it's, see, the thing is, they filmed it quickly uh, at uh, high frame, uh, high frame rate, and then slowed it down. And the, the weird thing is, by doing that, that that gave. Uh, the impression that it was far larger, far heavier. Uh, so that's you know how they they got the character. But again, it was it was one of these things. I was doing a deep dive on it, and it just it it didn't get what I was looking for. Uh, you know, for a Halloween type show. And then it occurred to me, it's like, geez, you know, just go uh, with the hearse outside of um, the uh, the haunted mansion at Disneyland, which uh, by the way is still closed, folks. You know that that. Uh, Governor Newsom is supposedly sending uh, some representatives from the state of California to Florida to go to Disney World. Uh, to I look saw that to get like their own bird's eye view to just sort of see yeah. to actually see with their own eyes that it's actually working. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, and Disney it, Disneyland in the last week or so has also issued some additional safety and health protocols. So. You know, they're still hoping they can get it open by November, but I, I don't know if you saw, Dan, that um, to sort of placate the Star Wars fans who can't get into Galaxy's Edge and haven't been able to get in for months, they actually took the Wonderground uh, gallery space there and turned it into a uh, Black Spire outpost, you know, trading outpost. Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff from the bazaar is now available, you know, out there at downtown Disney Anaheim and shop. Um, Disney on occasion will have stuff from galaxy's edge, including some of the legacy lightsabers and Anakin yes, and Obi-Wan's yes. Jedi robes. And there, there's some really nice stuff there. Yeah. I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by the fact that you can supposedly get kyber crystals at this store. So, yeah. you, could, you know, uh, you know, and likewise, holochrome. I'm kind of mixed um, on that because I like the notion that you can only get it in, on Batu, and I understand I, they're, they're, it's about revenue is obviously an important part of telling the story. But I don't know. Um, does it take away from the novelty? I mean, if you're holding a a kyber crystal at your home, you're still going to love it. But it, it's sort mm-hmm. of a mixed blessing, I guess. It is. It is. So you know. But again, the the hard reality is that the again, you know, that this 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 whole you know part, and by that, you know, a Batu as well has been closed since the middle of March. And, you know, the whole notion of, you know, we want to service that fandom and we want to give them a way to, if they they, they, they want things from that space, uh, you know, a Lothcat or, or the like, you know, they can come here. But anyway, uh, to get back to the hearse out in front of the Haunted Mansion, um, that was actually purchased. That, uh, you know, it was supposed to be a prop. And again, the Young Indiana Jones Adventures Spectacular Stunt Show. Um, by the way, Dan, Disney does this all the time that, that when they're developing a ride, um, they will start to buy props, um, before, you know, that they, they, they've actually, in some cases before they've got the official green light, 
because uh, sometimes what they'll do is that, for example, they'll prop a conference room when they're bringing in the board to sign off on a project. And so, you know, for example, you'll you'll walk in and it's like, oh, room themed like the Haunted Mansion. Yes, we're, we're looking to improve the Haunted Mansion. And these are, you know, some of the effects we'll be doing or trying to do. And we're hoping you can get behind that. So. Uh, in fact, I, I still remember, uh, you know, there was a, the Disney World cast member who sent me all of the photos for the props they bought for the presentation for Disney's Night Kingdom. Um, did you ever hear about that? The, no. Uh, yeah, it was going to be a mini park. Um, you know, in a weird sort of way, it was Disney's answer to Discovery Cove at SeaWorld. Um, but the idea was that it was a park that would only open after dark. Uh, 1,500 people, and you could do things like zip line over, uh, you know, through Batfield Caves, or you could go out with night vision goggles and watch, um, you know, in fact, it was going to have this this animal collection component. And and the weird part of it is, is during the day, uh, they were going to use um, this facility for you know conventions that you know corporate groups that would come to town this would be where you know you would go to do your trust building exercises with your team you know it's just sort of like we're all going to go climb the rock wall and hope the alligator doesn't eat us um but yeah that they bought the props and in the end um it was actually the financial collapse in 2008 that killed the project but um yeah it was supposed to be sort of a fifth alternative, you know, uh, for people who are going to, who've been to Walt Disney World multiple times and were looking for special things to do. And, you know, nowadays, you know, Disney doesn't do that, you know, that they, that they won't build something that doesn't have an IP around it, which is again, how we got, you know, the galactic star cruiser. That's right. Um, you know, so any, anyway, any, what's uh, the latest on that, by the way? Um, they are, you know, um, <laughs> I, I was poking, you know, in fact, again, putting on my Disney dish hat because Len and I'll be recording tomorrow, um, trying to get some more information about uh, opening dates, uh, you know, and more to the point, I, I think you and I have talked in the past about the fact that this isn't a hotel you you just throw open. You have to do, you know, they, they, I want to say they plan no less than two, uh, two entire different sets of playtests with Disney cast members who were going to sign, you know, non-disclosure agreements out the wazoo. Um, but, but you know, the, the idea was that they would do the quote-unquote two-day cruise on the Halcyon. And, you know, then Disney would do debriefs on all these folks and then some three weeks later, they put the next group in and same thing, you know, that they, they do a two day long cruise uh, and then, you know, they debrief everybody. And it would only then once they've, they've, they've you know, uh, been able to do this, you know, with everybody, you know, non-disclosured up so nobody can talk about what the experience is like. And they can then figure out, OK, that worked, that didn't, let's adjust that. And then, then, like two months after that, the very first, you know, group would be able to go in. But uh, construction is continuing. Um, it's it just there's a certain level of frustration because it's just sort of like, you know, 
when are we, you know, this was supposed to be part of the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World. And now, you know, everything uh, that was supposed to be part of the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World has gone sideways. Uh, you know, the, the, you know the, the timetable for everything. And so the whole notion is, well, do we wait? Do, you know, do we push the opening of this to 2022? Because that seems to be where everybody seems to think the safe harbor is now. Because uh, face it, you have to have people who feel confident to be able to get on a plane right. to travel down to Orlando. Uh, and also, you know, that, that one of the things Disney's most concerned about with this is that um, the Halcyon is kind of a ship in a bottle. Um, I mean, you, you know, you can't once you you come through the front door of the hotel. And you take the shuttle back up to, you know, uh, you know that they, they have that sort of simulator experience that supposedly takes you from the planet, you know, the surface of Earth up until, you know, to where the Halcyon is getting ready to make its way to uh, Batu. Uh, you know, the idea is you can't leave the ship unless the only way you can leave the ship is you go over to Blackspire Outpost. And then if you want to get a further journey out, uh, you know, step away from your itinerary, you know, you, you, you have to do it by way of heading out through Disney's Hollywood studios. And, you know, I guess there, there have been some discussions lately about the fact that we are asking people to stay inside of one hotel in the middle of a pandemic. And not a know, great idea. We, yeah. You know, what, you know, the, you know, and, and the whole notion is that, you know, I, I don't know if you've managed to see the, the blueprints yet, but even um, the blueprints that are out there for the Halcyon show, for example, um, the outdoor access, uh, they actually, they put in the equivalent of buffer rooms. So there will be no light bleed. Um, you know, the, the face it, you're supposed to be, you know, uh, orbiting a planet looking down and, you know, the notion of, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm on a spaceship and then somebody opens an outside door and here comes, you know, the light in from, you know, uh, central Florida. It's like, no, they can't do that. So uh, that there are these doors within door systems set up so that, that there will be no light bleed. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it gets a little difficult with um, with a pandemic, you know, convincing people that no, you need to stay here. You need to stay in the bar space. You need, you know, which we've created to be intimate because you know you want an intimate Star Wars experience. Um, you know, it's. I'm really looking forward to it, and I can't, I can't wait to actually get to experience that and how surreal it's going to be. Hopefully, I can take my family. But yeah, you got to do it. Uh, I want everything to work well. And, you know, if you're going to spend, I mean, let's face it, it's a very expensive experience. So when you do it, you want to be able to experience it the way that they have intended. Mm -hmm. And that may be like 2022 or later, like you said. Yeah. And, you know, it gives you more time to save your money. Yeah. Okay. See, this is why I like working with Dan. You can always find the positive. I'm, you know, that that's, I'm, I'm the flinty New Englander. I, I, you know, I, I 
I tend to see the glasses half empty and, hey, there's a crack in it. And what's that dirt at the bottom? <laughs> so anyway, um, okay. Uh, getting back to the young Indiana Jones uh, and the adventure spectacular. Uh, two inspirations for it. Obviously, uh, you know, one was the overwhelming success of the Indiana Jones Epic Stunt Spectacular, which had opened uh, at Disney MGM back in August of 89. Uh, plus that same summer was when uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out. And that, that in fact, May of that year. Um, anyway, the guys at Disney, they see the Last Crusade, especially the scenes at the beginning with young Indiana Jones played by River Phoenix. Um, and they see him scrambling across the roof of that moving circus train uh, as, as he's trying to escape from those Tomb Raiders. And they suddenly realize they now have a way to bring... Uh, a huge show like the MGM's Epic Stunt Spectacular at Disneyland. Um, and more to the point, they have a piece of property that would be ideal for this. Uh, you know, they, they, for more than a decade, WDI had been looking uh, for something to place in this huge piece of property that they had at Disneyland out behind Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Uh, in fact, this is where, I don't know if you, you know the Disney project Discovery Bay, where they were sure. sort of a tribute to Jules Verne. Um, but you know, in each case, when, when Disney proposed something to build there, uh, the executives could, you know, it's, it's the last piece of open real estate at Disneyland. And uh, more to the point, every time somebody came to the winning idea, it was going to be this huge expense. And it's like, you know, I, I can't roll the dice unless I, I know, you know, this is going to be a smash. And, but this, on the other hand, this is Indiana Jones. This is a character that's at that point, had starred in three highly successful films. Uh, more to the point, they could literally show them the the opening scene of Last Crusade with the, you know, with the train, you know, traveling through the American West in 1912, and it's just sort of like, you know, and here's Disneyland with a huge truck space between Frontierland and Fantasyland, which coincidentally a steam train, you know, ran through every day multiple times, and so it was almost too good to be true. It was it almost seemed preordained, so. Very quickly, the idea for the young Indiana Jones and the Avengers stunt particular came together. And irony, Dan, is right now, you know, were, um, you know, Disneyland's version of Galaxy's Edge open. You're, people are walking today where the Indiana Jones stunt spectacular was supposed to be built. Um, you know, pretty much where you enter at the top of Big Thunder Trail up by Fantasyland. This is, you are now basically on the stage at where the young Indiana Jones Sun Spectacular was going to be built, or they, they were going to set up grandstands for 5,000 guests. Wow. Um, and it was going to be, you know, you'd enter through this circus midway. And what was, what was kind of cool, you, you got inside the tent, uh, you know, and it's a giant red circus tent, or red and white striped circus tent. Uh, and what was kind of interesting about this is as you sat there waiting for the show to begin, you noticed, wait a minute, those are train tracks at the back of the tent. The train's going to come through the tent. Um, and yeah, that this was actually one, one part of the show that, you know, that I, at one key moment in the show, they were going to recreate the scene from the last crusade where, you know, uh, where young Indy is scrambling across the circus train and, uh, and, and oh God, 
but the, the other thing what's interesting about this is unlike what they did at MGM where it was, you know, they were pretending to shoot scenes from, uh, from Raiders, uh, you know, that, that, you know, and made a big, very big deal about, okay, and here's our fake camera crew and let's practice this up before we do it. Uh, the young Anna Jones show was going to be done in one continuous shot. It was going to be a 20 minute long play, uh, you know, featuring Indy and, um, and, and the framework, Dan was a little weird. It was actually supposed to start off with the older Indiana Jones, um, you know, stepping out into the the um, empty circus ring and sort of reminiscing, you know, about you know, go oh, this adventure. I remember this. And then as he's talking, circus performers would come in, and the show would then begin, and then the way it ended was was equally strange um because you were going to be able to see a chunk of the berm of disneyland um and the way the show was going to end is now you know young indiana jones is standing on stage in pretty much the same position where we saw the old indiana jones and now indy comes riding in on a black horse he basically puts an arm old indy uh, he puts an arm out, grabbing the young Indy, pulls him up onto the horse, and the two of them ride up over the berm. The horse rears back, and you know, with the the John Williams theme thundering, and they they then disappear from sight. Um, and I, again, hugely elaborate. Think of uh, the Disney MGM show that that level effects, that elaborate set, that big a crew, um, but. On the other hand, uh, there were Imagineers who were working on a parallel um, Indiana Jones project. And their argument was like, look, you know, this was five minutes of, you know, the last movie. On the other hand, if we, we, we take a look at Temple of Doom and, you know, that whole scene inside of the mine where people are riding in the mine cars, um, you know... That's a ride. That was, you know, that's, you know, and people come to Disneyland to go on rides. Um, and in fact, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but but one of the reasons that they really wanted to do the minecar ride at Disneyland is that when Ben Burt was putting together the soundscape for Temple of Doom, he actually came to Disneyland and one night uh, after the park closed, he walked around with his sound equipment and recorded, they, they let him inside of Space Mountain. They let him inside of Big Thunder. And he recorded the noise that roller coaster tracks make, you know, when when cars are going by. And it actually incorporated a lot of that into the soundscape for Temple of Doom. Um, but anyway, in the end, um, I, you know, it, it, when it came to sort of push came to shove, they decided at Disneyland, eh, you know, um, it makes more sense to go with a ride than a stunt show. We've already done the stunt show in, uh, in Florida. Uh, let's, let's double down on this, uh, this runaway mine train idea, which eventually mutated into the troop carriers, which got us, uh, the Indiana Jones adventure, which opened at that park in March of 95. Um, on the other hand, George at this point, uh, had been meeting regularly with Disney and had really enjoyed 
uh, all of the work that had been done on this teenage version of Indiana Jones. Uh, in fact, that was the thing. They kind of aged him up a little bit from uh, the River Phoenix character because the notion was, okay, we're going to have to pay a professional stunt person and need to be at least 18 years old, uh, you know, and, you know, so, you know, for employment purposes, he can't be, you know, a, a tenderfoot, you know, a, a, a ten, you know, a, a 12 or 15-year-old boy. Um, but anyway, George had been working on this, enjoying working with Disney on this teenage version of Indiana Jones, so much so that when the project got abandoned, uh, George just turned and took all of the notes, and that's how we ended up with the young Indiana Jones Chronicle, the uh, the TV series that ran on ABC from uh, March of 1992 through July of 1993. Uh, but again, you know, the, the, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the I, I guess, and again, you, you think about the fact that you know, if we pivot now back to the work that George did on his version of the last trilogy and the notion that, you know, I want, uh, you know, you know, I, I, I want our now older version of Luke Skywalker dealing with teenagers. Um, you know, just you know, again, it's just fascinating for me that George keeps circling back on all these sorts of ideas. So, um Anyway, speaking of circling back, uh, every show we talk about what you're up to with with coffee with Kenobi. Uh, you know, it's you know I've noticed what uh, was following on Twitter that your Patreon group. You know, hey, you, you're poaching on my turf now when you're talking, or my and Drew's turf when you're talking about your what the five favorite Disney animated films. Yeah, we on our Patreon show CWK pour over. We look, we selected our top. 10 favorite Disney animated movies. Mm -hmm. Not, we don't, weren't including Pixar on that. It'll be a separate list, but yeah, we, our top fives and top tens are getting a lot of attention and people really like them. So it's just kind of fun to, to flex my non star Wars uh, side of things and look at it that way. And and I did think about you guys when I was making it actually, because that'd be fun for you guys to do a, do something like that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, how did it shake out? Was it mostly stuff from, the first golden age or the second golden age? Uh, it's I mean, kind again. of a smattering of both. Uh, yeah, we're only we've only revealed six through ten so far, but there's been a lot of stuff over the past ten years that people mm-hmm. have been bringing up, which I, I found really surprising. My number one mm-hmm. uh, film, I won't reveal it yet until everybody listens to it next week, but my number one film is a more recent one. Hmm. Okay. All right. I, I, I definitely going to have to listen to this. Um, what about um, and, and really fertile coffee with Kenobi? What are, what have we been doing there? Uh, we we looked at Star Wars Squadrons, the recent video game. Uh, we talked about Star Wars and and how it lends itself to haunted houses, which is a really fun conversation this week. And then we're going to do a couple of weeks uh, talking about the Star Wars books and behind the scenes of the creation of it and. And hopefully talking with some other individuals who have written the book alongside me. Ooh, okay. All right. Those, those, those sound like great shows. Can't wait to see that. All right. Uh, here at the uh, Media Podcast Network, we've got, well, we uh, like I said, we're going to be doing a brand new Disney dish with Glenn tomorrow. In fact, I think we're going to be talking about the wonders of life, uh, Pavilion and Epcot. 
let's see, Mr. Taylor and I uh, will be doing a brand new fine tuning. Uh, we're getting down to where we can be talking about uh, Glenn Keane's new movie, uh, his solo project Over the Moon. Likewise, um, Josh Gad has a brand new project coming up from Disney called Once Upon a Snowman. Um, that that'll I think we'll be talking about that as well. But at the same time, we've got um, what is it? Uh, Aaron Adams and I uh, do the marvelous Disney show, and God, a lot of Marvel news breaking. Also, you know they're going to be impacted by this reorg as much as the Focus Lucas films are. Um, uh, Universal Joint, uh, Dustin Fuse and I will be recording a brand new show this weekend about the Universal Parks. And and we finally got a brand new I Want That Out the Door with, with the Shelly Viodolid. So uh, that was fun. And we'll get a new one of those going in two weeks. Um, tell you what, Dan. Uh, you know, again, I, I so enjoyed, you know, uh, you know, first of all, that wonderful photo of you with your, you know, early copy of the Star Wars book. Um, which again, on sale, October 20th, folks. Uh, and likewise, again, seriously, so enjoyed the jacket photo, but it was just sort of like, wow, okay. And he cleans up nice. Um, but <laughs> if, if folks are, you know, want to also keep tabs on what you're up to on Twitter, uh, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Zer, M-R-Z-E-H-R, and you can find Coffee with Kenobi all over social media. Okay. Uh, now, Nancy wants me to remind you, uh, that you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media and on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. Okay, folks, one final thing before we go. If you could do Dan and I a favor, uh, if you could head over to iTunes and not only rate and recommend looking at Lucasfilm, but also Coffee with Kenobi, that would be incredibly helpful. And if you really, really, really like what you heard here tonight, uh, head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. And I think that's going to do it. Uh, for tonight, and, and which is a good thing because Mr. Z had places to go. So we'll let him go, and we'll be back here soon. So till then, folks, take care.